This is the Goodwin Podcast, and I'm Nico. And like always, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for spending time with me. And uh, that was a chant given to me, um, not given to me, a chant that I learned, um, a ceremonial chant for the buffalo. Um, given to me by a teacher um, who carries an altar with him, who carries tradition, whose tradition's been passed to him. And uh, kind of an honor to be able to um, to learn a song like that and for it to fit so perfectly with um, my life and my mission right now. It kind of makes me think about appropriation um, and when it's appropriate to celebrate other cultures. And uh, and and I think about this, you know, I think about this before I I go to TP ceremonies. I think about this before using various plant medicines um, from the Amazon, indigenous to the Amazon, and uh, and I do wonder. I wonder why I've been drawn to practice um, other religions is it a is it a rejection of my own heritage of my own uh being um, but it it is what I, i'm a, it is what i'm drawn to even if it was founded in a rebellious nature it's it's what i'm drawn to and how i compare how i I reframe 
the cultural appropriation in my mind is I continue to show up with respect um, and intention to these places, um, knowing that, you know, my skin doesn't reflect, my lineage doesn't reflect um, these religions or these practices as my home, my home base. And I haven't fully rejected Christianity. Um, you know, I still pray to, I still use uh, angel symbols, metaphors for different frequencies and energies in my life. Um, I still, I want to say believe in Jesus in the terms of, I believe in the message of Jesus and what uh, they were able to share or what's been passed down. But I also think Christianity being a, a relatively new religion, um, I think I'm drawn to the more older traditions as well. And it would be a lie to say I haven't romanticized them at some point. Um, you know, making, yeah, romanticizing them, making it all rainbows and hunky-dory, which can lead to bypassing. And then furthermore, like, the religious practices and ceremonies that I'm part of um, were of the land that I was born on prior to European um, dominion, we'll call it. So I think about all this stuff, and I practice anyway. <coughs> and I've... I mean, that's a pretty valid criticism of me, I'd say, is uh, I have a joke when people see my tattoos, because I have nine tattoos now, and uh, eight of them were done by Asian men, six were done in Asia, um, oh no, I'm sorry, four were done in Asia, and Thailand specifically. And so I have Thai on my body. I have Arabic on my body. Um, you know, even my newest tattoo, the symbology that's used to frame the Jaguar is reflective of Amazonian culture. Um, I have Nordic symbols on my arm. So I'm kind of all over the place. And I've gotten this, and that, that could be, be a pretty valid criticism. Obviously, I can't bear the guilt anymore. I'm, I'm, I made the decision and I'm, you know, living with it. It's not um, going to, it's not changing who I am. Uh, and it's not going to change the respect that I give to these cultures uh, through my actions. But it, it could be a valid 
reason for someone to uh, put up a a judgment on me. And uh, I wouldn't have much to say other than I was young and I made a decision. And the decision was made um, with an appreciation of the culture, not with uh, a mockery in mind. Yeah, Buddhism has just made more sense to me. It's appealed to my logic. It's more practical. um, And it's more inclusive. And when I was raised with Christianity, it, it seemed like Buddhism was the message Jesus was sharing in action. So it became of great appeal to me. Um, maybe I needed a sense of practicality. Maybe I'm not a good true Christian where faith alone will save you. Because I soon found out that my actions affected me, not just like, uh, not just physically. Um, I've cultivated a sensitivity or I was born with it. You know, my mom says I was always a sweet like a sweet boy. Um, and there's a, there's a story of me, my great grandfather passed away and, and that, that great grandfather, John was very, very close to my dad. He raised my dad. Um, he was over at their house every single day, taking care of my dad and his brothers and sisters. And, uh, when he passed away, he, he was devastated, but I was f- four or five and my dad was to give a speech at his funeral and was, I guess, was trembling. I don't really remember this. I do have a memory of eating cookies in a, in a confession booth. But that's besides the point. My dad was trembling before giving uh, a speech at his grandfather, my great-grandfather's funeral. And I went up to him and, and grabbed and held his hand. So, like, again, I don't remember this. I don't, it doesn't, one instance isn't enough to paint the picture of a person. Um, But there was an emotional intelligence there. Um, For particularly a, a very young person, a child, whose world is completely them, completely self absorbed, rightfully so. Um, and I probably, I was probably feeling uncomfortable that my dad was feeling uncomfortable and I, I went over to comfort. So maybe that's evidence of needing a, a more practical, hands-on, um, faith practice, practice through action. Shout out to uh, my friend Mike in Denver. He, um, I'll be shouting out a few mics this this podcast. He he shared with me a simple exercise. I think he shared publicly. Um, I drink coffee, and I've really found I love it quite a bit, um, or at least I love the way it makes me feel for moments, and. Uh, I've lowered my ability to feel shame in drinking it, 
but he shared an exercise to breathe deeply six times um, before taking your first sip of coffee to really activate it. And I already did that, but uh, I figured I'd share with you all that. uh, Anything that causes like a pattern interrupt, especially when I'm compulsively using a substance, um, it seems to be a good strategy or good practice. Um, There's, I mean, I've known cigarette smokers and they'll take out a cigarette and put it in their mouth and light it up and not remember how they even got a cigarette in their mouth. And um, anything I do impulsively, compulsively, uh, for whatever reason, I like to bring a little bit of awareness to that and, uh, and just even pause. Even if I'm not going to stop doing the habit, um, I just I do it with a, different, with a different level of awareness behind my eyes or in my head. And um, I don't want to speak about doubt, but nah, I won't. <sighs> so I talk on this podcast a lot about um, retaining ejaculation for men. And I want to be clear I, I'm not talking no fap. I'm not talking no nut November. Exactly. I think celibacy is too extreme. No fap might be a good entry point for some guys to hear about the benefits, see the benefits, or, or make jokes, or... Um, find a community to support them in their discipline practice. But I don't think denying the beauty of sexual experience is, or that's not my message. That's not what I'm trying to share. It's, it's too rigid a celibacy practice and I think what's necessary is to actually just reframe sexuality to not exclusively mean penetration like sexuality and, and you can ask any or many women it's like it's the time leading up it's the time during and it's the time after that's the sexual experience it, it could start for some people, women, with the first thing you say to them in the morning and the sexual experience happens at night, the penetration, it's, it's, it can be reframed that abstractly and that broadly or anywhere in between. It could, you know, so I think the real discipline or the the true benefits aren't in celibacy, aren't in denial. I mean, I think that has a, a really strong chance of binding and reinforcing shame that we 
we some criticize with like the Catholic Church for creating this celibacy first um, program. And abstinence, I want to remember where I heard this from, and uh, I may not, but Catholics were having a ton of kids because it was a sin to pull out. You were, you were to orgasm within the woman, and it was a sin to pull out. And, uh, and, and so then this abstinence uh, campaign came through and, and, and now we see there's been a repression, not anymore. I feel like now we're kind of at the opposite end of the pendulum, pendulum where maybe hyper, well, hypersexualization I think is still shame. Like, um, damn it, why is this coming to mind? But it's like the, the joke or the meme is like, ask a stripper about his dad, her dad. It's like they were either not there or they were highly repressive. Of course, that's a, that's a gross generalization, but um, the downward pressure or the repression can create the opposite. There's... There's plenty of evidence to support that in my own life. Um, you know, I, I was to not smoke anything. And uh, it wasn't that I did it like thinking like a middle finger to my, my parents or whatever. Um, but it certainly put it on my radar. And when I wasn't able to fulfill... Uh, expectations around sports or I wasn't able to kind of do the things they wanted me to do. For some reason, I rebounded into this like drug world, this um, rebellious world in high school and even still now in, in some ways. So I'm not, I'm not talking celibacy. I think the real, the real is is to have sex without ejaculation and <laughs> and to reframe that again to find the amount the ratio of ejaculation to having sex so for example like i said a couple episodes ago um by the time i'm 40 um having sex 20 times and only coming once by the time i'm 60 um, having sex a hundred every for every hundred sexual experiences coming once, and um, doing pretty good now. Um, I still feel I still feel the intense like there's been pretty intense benefits, energetically wise, yeah, but sexual performance, um, self worth how I feel about myself. Like, and then there's physical evidence of just like, um, my penis getting harder for sex and 
um, you know, my ball is not feeling droopy and depleted, but like there's a fullness to my penis. Any man knows that there's like, there's good penis days and there's bad penis days. I think this is something that, that women don't fully understand is they might understand, oh, cold water causes shrinkage. But, you know, if there's some days where if you're, if you, you know, if I sleep on my side without a pillow between my knees, um, I like could press all the blood out of my penis and into my knees, calves or whatever, wherever it goes. Like, so like there's good penis and bad penis days. And, and some days you feel like flossing and some days you feel like, uh, you know, being a hermit because of this. So basically by retaining my semen, I'm increasing the amount of good penis days I have. And what good penis days mean is it's a, it's a nice little superficial boost because I think every man also, it learns to enjoy what they got regardless of size, or I hope so. Or at least they make levity or uh, become healthily indifferent because they know their worth through other, you know, they know their worth is not bound into their penis size. So they're able to liberate themselves. But there's a certain amount of pride and uh, with, you know, using what you got, being happy with what you got. And, um, that's a nice little benefit. Superficial, sure. And the, the less superficial benefits are, are things like energy and uh, compassion. You know, I've been able to um, be more interested in my, in my girlfriend, particularly. Um, and it's, it's hard to say direct causation correlation but that's been a a good benefit but the the most beneficial thing i think from holding my ejaculation is the sense of discipline i think a man's ability for men their ability to hold their semen to store their chi and to not give it away is the foundation of all discipline practices this is it. Um, like we now live in a world where, uh, you can eat terrible things for you and they're readily available for very cheap prices. So we can include maybe the discipline of what you put in your mouth and what comes out of your, out of your dick. And Jocko Willick take him for take it for what it's worth is his quote discipline equals freedom there is just something to that but discipline also means self-esteem and self-worth and knowing what you're made of and knowing what you're capable of and this is a foundational practice is your ability to hold and store your semen or being able to choose exactly where it goes And this is the biggest benefit I'm finding. If I'm going to throw out all the metaphysical stuff, um, 
throw out the superficial stuff, the feeling of self-worth to, to know that I'm just not a slave to my ejaculations, um, to know that I'm, I'm entering and approaching a little bit of mastery over myself, over my choices, over where I give my energy to. Um, it's been really, it's been empowering in the, in the right ways where a friend sent me this beautiful, really timely and beautiful video, um, where you give your energy is where you give your life. Your energy is your most valuable resource. And it encouraged me to stop, you know, having hard conversations with people that don't want to change to stop giving my energy to people that are indifferent of my presence. Um, and to conserve my energy for those that will, that are, are grateful. There's so many people in this world and to bound up my energy into someone that will abuse it, take more than is necessary. Um, is it is ultimately a disservice to me. And uh, I think the ejaculation, holding on to your ejaculation, is the physical representation of where you give your energy and being the master of your own energy, being the ma mastering of, of myself. So... That discipline of holding on to ejaculation, and that's this leads me to what I want to talk about, which is chosen suffering. Chosen suffering. The importance of chosen suffering. Because it's there's there's suffering in this world. Um there's little doubt in my mind that there's hardship, certainly, and uh, and that's might be part of the reason why we're here. Is it might have something to do with this suffering and and the validation of it. That's when I feel most connected. That's when I feel this sense of divinity when there's been a validation or a vindication of a victory. Other V words, victory, and. Um, Basically, like the trans turning a uh, stone into gold, lemons to lemonade, um, and that that suffering seems to be exactly tethered to the goodies. Um, the light, the lightest light, is dependent on the dark, the darkness of the shadow it casts. Things like, or the darkness of the cave creates a more illumination, or whatever. Basically, suffering is inevitable. Like, we're gonna die. The people we love are gonna die. The things we like in this physical universe are gonna dissolve eventually. Um, and that could be cause, you know. It may, might, maybe you call it pain and suffering as a choice, right? 
because pain is inevitable, but suffering's not. But I'm, I'm talking about the that which is inevitable. Loss. Loss is inevitable. And chosen suffering practices disciplines seem to better prepare me for the unchosen suffering. Pra like a little bit of practiced pain makes the pain that the blindsided hit more manageable. And it's all about learning to manage and, uh, and I can not cope, but, um, transmute negative experiences into positive to validate them, to vindicate. So in this way, like non-ejaculatory sex, it might seem painful. There's blue balls, which we talked about maybe an episode or two ago. And that's legitimately painful. Um, but also the desire, the primal desire to plant your seed so that it can grow. Um, that can be, that's been painful for me. Like it's been hard to pull away. This has been a very difficult practice. Like it is just easier to, to come. It's been what I've been doing, but it's, it's a low risk chosen amount of suffering and pain that if I'm able to uphold because of my beliefs and the research I've done, it empowers me and it makes me feel good and it builds my self-worth, making me more able um, to handle greater adversity in the future. And I'm not trying to attract greater, greater adversity. Um, I don't think it's exactly like Mortal Kombat where you're fighting harder and harder bosses until the end. Um, but there is a part of me that thinks that that's why I can make that metaphor or that. And the demons that you're able to confront and overcome, you absorb their power to keep it sci-fi. So my, my chosen suffering practices are uh, jujitsu, certainly. And that hasn't been, that's been like enjoyment and play um, most recently. And, and, but there, no, but maybe I'm just more accustomed to the being my, having my face smashed by a sweaty, hairy chest or like a rugged ghee. Um, the exercise that I do, you know, seated meditation and all these things certainly get easier and easier and I'm able to do more and more and I kind of seek out challenges. Um, they get easier and they don't because there was a time in like my early, early twenties when I was super young and sprightly and, uh, I could really push through. I feel like I have more boundaries now 
so I kind of can say no to things more readily than I used to be able to. And because I wasn't able to say no before, I was able to kind of endure just the kind of suffering that degrades. And with chosen suffering, you can choose pain, you can choose suffering that will build. I think there is a distinction between suffering that destroys and suffering that builds. Like there's a certain, there's a certain suffering and gluttony, right? Um, where food no longer tastes good or, um, the, the shame, like the shame. And that's, that feels more like a destructive, like fuck it kind of suffering. Um, whereas the suffering of, walking up a hill or, you know, choosing to retain your semen because you think it, it helps increase your health and longevity. Um, there's just, there's construction, there's constructive disciplines. And constructive suffering might be called discipline and destructive suffering might be called not discipline. Maybe that's the distinction. I was watching Queen's Gambit. I watched one episode. The first episode was pretty off. Like it was really captivating. And part of the reason I wanted to talk about this today is the show opens up with, well, it's like a, close to the beginning of the show, maybe within the first five, 10 minutes, there's a line that says, um, the girl, the main character is an orphan and her mom, no spoiler alerts, but goes away and her dad goes away and, and the orphanage people were driving her to the orphanage for the first time. And, uh, they're like, yeah, where's the dad? And, Someone said, it looks like he's, he became another victim of a carefree life. Meaning, because like his life was unfulfilled, he felt his life was unfulfilled. Um, he, the resentment, there's a resentment that comes to people when their parents give them everything that needs to be over overcome and reframed into gratitude. But if that, if that resentment isn't refrained and isn't grounded in gratitude, um, I think that's, I mean, that's, that's why people leave. People don't step up into the responsibility, don't ever find themselves, continue to lead lives of quiet desperation, etc. A victim of a carefree life. So there's this chosen suffering that really makes, shapes you, shapes your self-esteem, shapes your self-worth. You find out what you're able to 
you, you find out your true power. And this isn't a new topic. I listen to, to Rogan sometimes. And um, I think when this topic comes up, I don't fully love how he approaches it. He usually brings up like David Goggins, who's like a, like a really hardcore. Um, he's always like calling people like motherfuckers and calling himself a little bitch. And like, he's like, I'm going to push through this, like, like a drill, like super drill sergeant. And that probably works for a ton of people. It's probably helpful. And it has been helpful for a lot of people. And even for me, like it's been helpful at times, but constantly like motivating myself by putting myself down is also not something I'm interested in right now. Like from a mental health perspective, it may get me to go for a run, um, but it could be more close to that, like destructive suffering element. And I just don't, I, I think you can motivate your disciplines. Um, also by seeing the benefit in them, by, by seeing the gratitude in being able to go for a 10 mile run, 20 mile run, uh, to be able to retain your semen and have, um, have the ability, you know, just have the opportunity at life. So although I appreciate like how they talk about it, um, how like how the chosen suffering makes a, an easy life, easier life. Oh, damn it. There's like a really good quote. Um, hard day, easy life, easy days, hard life or something like that. Yeah, so I'm wondering if, if it's possible to just reframe, to reframe it so that you can be motivated um, through feelings of joy. So I have a bit of unchosen suffering. I, I hurt my back. That's what I'm dealing with right now. And, uh, it's okay, right? Because of all the things I've talked about. Because I've been able to, you know, I have a good place to rest and to, and to recover. And I still have a lot of ability in my body. But dude, when your back goes, it's a thing. It's a real thing. Like rotation is difficult. Like thoracic rotation and yesterday it, it seized up so bad, it like locked everything and I wasn't able to breathe into my diaphragm. So all my breaths were super short. I had to like lay down on my back and like systematically relax my muscles to be able to breathe deeply. And um, I'm trying to keep that relaxation. It's almost teaching me that I can move even slower. It's showing me that how fast I move, um, 
with a, a mostly able body, like even tossing in bed, tossing and switching sides that I'm laying on, like moving like a sloth, I'm getting some sloth medicine right now, some sloth energy. Um, not in the way to not do things and not uh, keep myself busy, but in the, in the physical movements, I feel very much like a sloth. And the last things I want to talk about, um, more one's a, a statement, one's a question. And and the question is something I have to figure out how to to, to get an answer. I don't think this is the perfect platform, but it's just what's going around in my mind. And I wonder how many couples allow, like how many women that are on birth control or not allow their boyfriend to come inside them. Like, pull out, pulling out has just always been a thing, you know, um, to really get into it. I, I made the mistake of not pulling out early in my sexual career when I, I'm going to plead ignorance on this, not that it makes it okay, but I genuinely was ignorant and, um, and caught up in the moment. And I thought that she'd given me the okay to come inside. And when I did, it wasn't okay. And it ended up ruining that. It, it ended that relationship. Um, and because of that, I've been like pulling out ever since that was like my fifth or sixth sexual experience like ever. And, uh, so yeah, being super sensitive about that. And, uh, so I've just developed like a, a pullout game, if you will. But I was talking to a friend and that, that wasn't the case for him. It was not the same practice with, with his girlfriend's ex-girlfriend in the past. And that's my, I, I genuinely wonder because the the book, the Tao, the sex Tao book that I, I, I point to a lot, it says there's you do want to come inside. That's when you can actually get reciprocal energy from the woman and you're not completely just giving yourself away, but there's actually some bit of reciprocation. Um, but yeah, genuinely curious how many, I mean, birth control is supposedly like 99% effective, right? Those odds seem pretty good. It seems like you could go for it. I just never have because it's never, well, because of having made that mistake in the past and wanting to not do that again. But also it's just never been something I think my partners have been fully comfortable with or haven't expressed comfort with, like it is okay. And I didn't press the issue. Um, I'm genuinely, I'm wondering how I can do like a, a survey where people don't have to expose themselves, but 
you know, with a sample size of at least like 2000 or whatever, a thousand, whatever is needed for a scientific paper N equals a thousand, I think. And, um, genuine curiosity on that. Cause I, I have done, well then you have condoms where you can do it. So the birth control plus the condom, but I think that doesn't allow for the exchange. If you're going to go the metaphysical Eastern Chinese medicine route where you need to get reciprocal energy. I don't think, I think the condom would block that. Also, it doesn't feel as great. Um, even though it feels still pretty good, but, uh, yeah, of course it's dependent on how the woman feels about it. The real, the, the, it's her risk to her body. Um, but nevertheless, I'm still curious at where, like, where a majority lies. So that was my, that's my big poll question. And if you wanted, if you are comfortable answering that, you can DM me and I won't share. I'll never share direct messages on the podcast. I only share comments that are made public um, through you guys and through people that, that consume my TikTok comment particularly. My friend made a good point and I don't know how this all fits in to uh, the episode, but it's, I want to talk about it nonetheless. It's more along the lines of do nice guys finish last episode. And, and we were talking about that episode and he said something very practical that he recommended a book to me called the rational man, I think. Um, and he pulled out this quote. He said, she's not, if she's not sleeping with you by the third date, she doesn't like you like that. And you'll, and you'll never be the one for her. She'll always think that there's someone else out there. And I, that makes me reflect on my, the, like the relationships I've had in the past and, and the ones that have, well, let me think about this. Yeah, I think actually my first relationship, more long-term relationship, I think we slept with each other on the third date. And I think it's been roughly the same for my other two relationships, maybe even exactly the same. And the women that weren't interesting in me, which have been many, um, probably more than, I don't know. I don't know if it's more or less. I know that there's been many, many women I've been interested in, have fallen infatuated with, um, which in a sense has pushed them away. Um, and it hasn't even gotten to third, the third date. There hasn't even been a, of past the, there hasn't been a fourth date to know if this works, if this is true, but it seems to be true. It seems like if that physical attraction, if that attraction isn't there, um, you may never get that romantic connection as a guy. Maybe I'm, I'm sure there's like the, uh, 
exception would be if it's in open communication, like, Hey, I'm really, really attracted to you, but my beliefs are as such that I don't want to have penetrative sex. Oh, maybe, maybe reframing what sex is. If, if there's no date, if three dates go by and there's no kissing or caressing or any physicality, I think that is the evidence that it'll never get there. It's not just sex, penetrative sex. Oh, that's kind of full circle. So you may want to reconsider your relationship or if you're in a, if you're in a relationship where you're kind of buying your time now, that not to say like you can have a friendship. I've heard of people having friendships for, for years and it just not being the right time. And then all of a sudden they get together. But I think if your intention is to bring people on a date or your intention is to make it physical, when that happens, you have about three or four, three dates apparently to know if it'll be, if it's possible to be reciprocated. And if not, then you even have, you either have to accept this person as just a friendship. Um, cause that, cause that can be beautiful, the friendship, or you'd have to move on and get those sexual needs fulfilled by, by someone else. No one to, mo- no one to hold them, no one to fold them. No when to walk away, no when to run. You better count your money. You better count your money. Cool. So some updates um, on my my soul's goal to bring more shit to the planet, literally. Heal the world with with poop. I realized that that is my goal. I was sharing my goal to help increase the population of wild bison in the Great Plains to 1 million plus by February 2nd, 2022. 2-2-2022. Because I like numbers like that. And did you know... That 200 years ago, in the 18th century, 300 years ago, the bison population in what we call America today was 60 million. Six zero and six zeros after that. 60 million. And today, it's at 31,000. In 1900, and uh, it was 1904, the American buffalo population got down to 25. 25 from 60 million? I don't even know how that's possible. And maybe I need to cite my sources on this, but I saw that graph yesterday doing the research thing and uh, trying to contribute to my soul's goal. 60 million in the 18th century down to 25. It's too big of a a contrast for me to even wrap my mind around it. 25. I can, I, I think I can 
I can understand 25. I almost have 25 fingers and toes. Like that's, I can grasp 25. 60 million. I haven't seen, I, I wouldn't be able to, what does that look like? Is that a whole beach of sand? Uh, is a whole forest of leaves? I, I don't, I don't know. And 60 million to 25. So my goal to bring, to help create the conditions that allow the bison population to return to the millions in three, two years, two and a half years. It's not that. It's teetering on asking too much and uh, and it being possible. And if you've missed all the episodes before and you don't know what I'm talking about, um, I recommend Alan Savory's TED Talk. And he shows how the desertification of the land, the erosion of the land, land turning to desert, one slush grant land turning to desert, can be reversed with pachyderms, with grass-eating large animals that pee and poop and eat and travel and stomp the ground down, stomp down the nutrients and nutrition, um, that restores the land. It restores desert to green, to lush green land again. Pachyderms are the solution, according to Alan Savory. And um, when you look him up uh his credentials match and i want to say that i had this vision or i had this download before i even knew who he was he just says it in such an articulate way um that i always point people to him now i point people to him um, because he's done the research he's done the documentation to show how pachyderms and large grass-eating animals uh, restore harmony uh, to the land and therefore the water and therefore the ecosystem and reverse desertification of the land. So more shit 2022, uh, more cow shit. You know, even if we started to free the cows and just changed the, uh, factory farming system there's so many cows in cages uh, if we just freed up some of that land and i know it's a i don't know but i i can imagine there is just so much work involved herding cattle i imagine and protecting them from predators and it seems that we as a society have just defaulted to what's easy. Er. Um, and I, I get it, right? Companies want to... Convenience wins. Convenience wins in the market. Um, companies want to have a steady supply 
so they can maximize profits. If, if it was more natural, we would, there'd be fluctuations of supply. Right now, there's little fluctuation. You can go to a supermarket and, you know, get nerd, pack of nerds anytime. There's no fluctuation in the nerd market. You can get a chicken anytime. There's no fluctuation in the chicken market, rice, etc., tobacco. Like there used to be fluctuation. There used to be ebbs and flows into supply and demand. Now it's a constant supply. And in order to keep a constant supply so that you can keep maximizing profits, um, we had to take the easy way out. We had to get rid of any potential threat. So pesticides are now overused tremendously. It's not that pesticides are bad, even though they're pretty, it's, it's how we use them. It's just so it's such an overuse. We've forgotten what enough is. And me included. A lot of my work right now is learning to acknowledge enough. And I think this is like my, my prayer, I guess my prayer for, for us is, is learning what is truly enough so that there can be balance. It's a good prayer. Enough is as good as a feast, as they say. Some more shit, 2022. Bring back the shit. Poop forever. And, uh, heck yes. This has been, a, this has been an episode. I know I've been a little monotone. I am trying to be authentic and keep also my voice down. A few of the clips that I've made in the past few videos, I've noticed my voice coming to a level that is hard for me to listen to again. Um, and uh, so I wanted to change that a little bit. Thank you, as always, for joining this podcast is now available on Spotify. It's now available on iTunes. Uh, and many, many other p places to get podcasts. Google Podcasts. Um, please subscribe to the YouTube if you enjoy watching the videos. And check out our Patreon and OnlyFans where we can, where extended episodes. Oh yeah. I'm going to continue this episode beyond this, this outro and to see the full episode, go over to Patreon, go over to OnlyFans um, to see the full episodes. So the format will be, I'll, I'll do f an hour, 45 minutes, an hour of regular podcast. And then I'll go for another 30 minutes plus uh, for Patreon and for OnlyFans. Thank you so much for your support um, and for being here. This has been The Good Wind. Whew.
Hello, OnlyFans and Patreon subscribers. Thank you so much for your patronage. Um, man, your support, it literally means the world. This is like, I, I don't know how to express it without seeing you and giving you a hug, shaking your hand, kissing you on the face, um, nibbling on your earlobe. If that's, if that's what we worked towards, whatever, smelling your hair, uh, letting you smell my hair, um, cleaning, uh, the dirt under your nails. I don't know how washing your feet, um, like Jesus. I don't know how to, how to convey that without seeing you. So I do my best answering your comments, but, um, and anyone who's reached out to me, I've, I've taken the time to respond to them. Uh, cause that feels right. You know, it feels right to respond to people who will make time for me. Um, I'm definitely trying to, uh, feel cared for and to cultivate manifest a friendship where people make time for me, reach out to me. And I guess I have this weird idea that if I do it, uh, then I have a greater chance of receiving that, which I'm giving and fingers crossed it's in this lifetime. Um, I'd love to share myself as I am not have to wait till the next lifetime. And, um, I have a question, I have a question for you. Do you like being you? Really? Really, truly. Would, would Do you feel like you want to trade for someone else? Or do you like being you? Because at various points in my life, I would answer this question differently. But I can say right now, I'm, I like my hand. I'm ready to roll. Even though I have a hurt back. And, uh... Not the most, you know, and discord in my life in various ways. I'm, I like my hand now and I'm ready to, I'm ready to roll with it. Maybe I've just gone too far. And so I'm afraid of the change. But it's a good question. I think it's profound the, your answer to that is, is profound in how you're living your day, how you're living your life. I, th- I think someone that can answer yes, sure, they can be not a narcissist. I got to stop saying that word. I think that's like three out of 15 episodes, one fifth of the episodes I say that word. But yeah, I mean, there's people that over like themselves, right? President of the United States. And, and I, I do think there's more people that, that can't answer yes authentically to that question. And those are the people I want to talk to. And if there's just, if there's even a small chance that I could help instill in you or help you see the worth and the, and the gratitude, um, that you have for yourself. Um, that's the mission. That's a goal. 
Do you like yourself? Would you trade? And for what would you trade? You know? What do you really want? What do you really, really want? If you sat down and I and you had to write 20 pages of what you want, what would happen? Well, I, I want a beautiful house. I want millions of dollars in my bank account. I want uh, a woman that looks like them or a man that looks like this, this, and this, that does this, this, and this, that serves me this, this, and this way. When you're really acknowledging your ego's desires and you're not putting on a front to save the world, when you're focusing str- like strictly on yourself, what do you want? And I think when I've done this exercise, it's like, it's, it goes for infinity because as soon as I say, oh, I want a man in my life that does this, or I want a woman in my life that does this, this, and this, and this, and I, I build the perfect woman. Well, I didn't write about what their mom is going to be like. Will my, my mother-in-law be overbearing? Will they have a brother or sister that doesn't like me and doesn't see any value and holds resentment for me? It's not, it's not possible, really, because if I were to go over every single possibility, it would go for infinity. And Alan Watts says the reason we don't know what we want is because we already have it. Because we're looking for ourselves, ultimately. So, self, so maybe ending on a practical note. And if you do this, please send it to me. Please include me. I don't know how valuable homework is, but include me. But write down what you want. <laughs> I guess I already told you the end. But write down what you want. Do the exercise. Don't take don't take my word for it. Write down what you want. See all the different areas that you weren't able to cover. Maybe write a hundred pages. And go into it. Don't be afraid to acknowledge your ego's desires too. I want this to be about what you want in your desires and your depths. And um And, and 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 enjoy that and share that with me. If it's twenty pages, I won't read all of it. Maybe do a little conclu- like a little condensed version, bullet points. Maybe I will read it too, especially if it's just a couple of you. Um, write down what you want, unabashedly, no shame, confidence that you you're just writing it down. You don't, you're not a bad person because you want to have sex with a thousand people or you like big boobs or, or like if you, if you want someone that has nice breasts, ask for it. 
If you want someone with a, a, a penis that's perfectly straight, ask for it. If you want it with a like a little bend in it, upward, ask for that. Ask your ego's desires too. If you want a child that has dark skin and curly hair, if that like, it's okay. It's okay. If you want a partner who's black or whatever, whatever you think that it, or is or is Muslim or is Buddhist, whatever, write it down, and you don't have to share it. This is for you. So thank you so much for, for subscribing. Thank you for uh, being a Patreon or OnlyFans member. Um, I'm here for you guys. Um, you can message me and I'll, I'll respond. I'll prioritize you guys first and foremost. And... Um, if there's something you need, let me know. I'm here to build a relationship for a long term, um, not just a short time. So please take advantage of this so that you feel it's worth it, that I'm worth it, uh, because that is my intention. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Gracias, gracias. This has been the Goodwind exclusive content, extended edition. Uh, have a beautiful day.